basically gets all the breaks in the dice and lays out his vision, gives us some important updates. So I'll be in that for the next three days. So if you think of us, just pray for that time together. It's a really important time each year, and I'll, of course, feedback some of that to you all once we're back. This year is going to be at a retreat center um, in North Carolina, in Hendersonville. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's a moving feast these days because we don't have Camp St. Christopher anymore. So we just have to kind of find places that we can rent. And this was one that was affordable. So, yeah. Over to Stephen. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate you. Who's in the early service today? Yeah. That was that was one of the best sermons I've heard on Luke two. Don't don't tell us anything. Okay, don't don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Okay, Jesus wins at the end. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for. Um, your mercy and thank you for this um, picture, the, the really true love story uh, in this book of Hosea. And so we ask this morning that as we are um, looking at your word, that you would open it up to our hearts and help us to see what you would like us to see in it. Help us to know what you want us to know and that we might love others as we have been loved. And we pray it in your name and for your glory, Jesus. All right, so Hosea, the book of Hosea. Is anyone familiar at all with the book of Hosea? Maybe a little bit, okay. Um, Hosea is, uh, is, Hosea is one of the minor prophets, and we'll look at that in a second. But Hosea is, uh, it is a love story. It is a, uh, it is a wild love story. It is, it is not your typical rom-com that you see in the movies uh, that you would have, you know, someone like um, whoever, a late, whoever the latest rom-com actor is, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, but what it is is it is a picture of rescue. It is a love story of rescue, and it has uh, two major parts in it, although we're going to break it up into four parts. But what it gives us is a picture that while... Uh, indeed, we'll see God brings judgment on uh, against human, against evil, against those who have done harm to God's people. There's also a message that uh, for future generations, which we get to experience through Jesus, that God's love is unbreakable. And it has a ultimate purpose and an ultimate purpose to heal the broken love between uh, ourselves and God and also to restore us. Uh, to love others as well. So that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning as we uh, dive into this. This is a picture of Hosea the prophet. As we said, he is a prophet or was a prophet. And he lived during the time of the kings. This is before you know, we've been looking at uh, both the Babylonian uh, exile where Babylon came in and uh, took over Jerusalem and then came in a second time and took over Jerusalem. And then we, um, you know, later on the Persians came in and took over that and Israel went back. Well, this is all before that. But what we're going to see is the Assyrians are the opposition that God allows 
to come in and what he uses for judgment for God's people, for Israel. And so Hosea is a, a man who is called like a prophet. You know, like when we teach our kids, it's God's mouthpiece. It speaks what God uh, asks him to speak. And as we've said before, this is different than, for example, if I said to you, you know, God really put it on my heart uh, to blank or to do this or to do that. Uh, what I say is not canonical. That is not biblical. You can't take it to the bank. You can take God's word to the bank, and in God's word is Hosea. So it's always good for us, and we're called in the New Testament to test the waters when we hear things. Even with preachers, this is a side note, as Roger's preaching or as I'm preaching, you know, go to, go to the word and test it and see if what we're saying is accurate and what it's saying is true because many have been led astray by false teaching, and there's a lot of false teaching in Hosea as well. And so again, Hosea depicts the unfaithfulness of God's people. Hosea was alive when there were six different kings. So this takes place over a span of about 25 or 30 years. And it is a, um, what it's going to give us is a a picture of uh, God's words to a man who over and over again, Israel just is not faithful to the covenant. And God continues to try to bring them back. And we're going to see that kings don't work either. We saw earlier that prophets didn't work to bring God's people back. But kings don't work either. There's good kings and there's bad kings. And this is in the time of the kings. And so Hosea is the one who wrote this book. If uh, in the first little bit, the opening verse, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, it identifies Hosea with the old Testament prophets. He is one of the minor prophets. And again, minor does not mean uh, less value. It really means shorter book because, uh, you know, in our Old Testament, in our canon, things are arranged more uh, based on the uh, type of literature it is, you know, whether it's a psalm or a, or a historical or a prophet or, um, you know, a major prophet or that it's longer. And so this is part of the Uh, The Book of the Twelve in the Hebrew canon, it would have been called the Book of the Twelve, where it had 12 prophets in it, but it was one book where we separated into 12 different books in the Old Testament. It was written, again, around uh, with six kings, and so that is from uh, 753 to 687, and Hosea was alive during that time period. He was in the northern kingdom, Israel, when the kingdom's... Uh, you know, after the reign of David and with Absalom, the kingdoms split, and uh, some of the tribes went to the south and Judah, and some to the north, and that's Israel and God's people, this remnant. And so, this period was uh, a very turbulent time for God's people, because we're going to see that there's a lot of idolatry in this as well, and we're going to see uh, the. The literary uh, features in this is we'll see prophecy where God is speaking to um, is speaking to Hosea and he points towards God's judgment. But he also, again, points towards God's salvation. And we'll see judgment, salvation, and prophecy in this book. And the, the, the main metaphor in here, the reason why it's lo- a love story, because it is a redemption of an unfaithful wife. And we'll see that in the first three chapters. This isn't, the first three chapters are not a metaphor. 
Uh, it is a real story of Hosea and a woman named Gomer. You probably wouldn't name your child Gomer these days, but apparently that was a popular name back then. I think, wasn't there uh, in Andy Griffith or something like that? Or Gomer Pyle. That's right, Gomer Pyle, MC. We all remember that. And it's hard to break that image and then name your daughter that. So wouldn't recommend that. So there's just going to be a list of these uh, different things that we'll see that God or that uh, Gomer does. And that represents also Israel. And so we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more. We talked about the book of the Twelve. And so, let's see. And the primary audience of this was Ephraim, Ephraim which is also the name for the northern kingdom uh, or Israel. And it's mentioned 35 different times in the book. And it was God's priority, or it was Hosea's priority, like all the prophets, to see God's people turn back to God. And that's what it helps us see uh, as well, is that when uh, we're faced with sin or our own sin, that God calls us to repent and to turn back to Him, a loving Father. But here, they, uh, they knew a Messiah was going to come one day, but they did not know that this was pointing to that Messiah. So we'll get to see that. And one of his major concerns in this book is the worship of Baal. And we'll talk a little bit about Baal. And there's this beautiful imagery of the Lord and us. And you see it in the New Testament that we are his bride. And, or, or, he, or we are the, the one that the bridegroom comes after. And that's what's going to happen. So right, we'll talk about the canon. And this was a big part uh, that this is just an image of Israel or of God's people. Uh, they began to worship other gods and they began to worship, uh, they began to get connected with other nations. That's why you often see the nations. So uh, one of the sins that they continued to do was aligning themselves with other nations. Now today we wouldn't say, um, you know, there's not a nation uh who is God's people anymore. But because of Jesus, he brings all the nations in. And those who believe in Jesus as their Savior, they're part of that kingdom. So there's not a favor on a particular nation uh, like it was then. And so we're going to look at, we're going to break this up into, uh, it's often broken up into two parts where it's just one through three and then four through 14. But um, some of the commentaries, I like the way that they break it up a little more detailed where we're going to see uh, Hosea's marriage and Israel's unfaithfulness. So it's a literal picture of Hosea and Gomer. It's a couple. Uh, then the rest of the book will see uh, this imagery and how that, that relationship with Gomer points us to the sins of the people, priests and leaders, uh, false worship, and also past uh, and future hope. In Hosea. And that's kind of a theme in all of these prophets is that at the end there is a future hope. And it's going to point us to Jesus as all of these books in the Bible point us to Jesus. So let's dive in a little more. Um, so Hosea's marriage to Gomer. We, so God gives Hosea a, uh, an interesting command, an interesting call. He tells him to go and to pursue, to rescue this woman, Gomer, and her children. And her children have all these names that mean sinful things. 
And he says, go take a prostitute and have a prostitute's children. Now imagine that call to someone who is a man of God saying, go, go take the prostitute. And it is, a, it is a call to love the unlovely, to rescue the broken. I mean, you'll hear a little bit of that in the sermon this morning as well. Uh, Roger doesn't refer to Hosea, but he does refer to uh, loving the broken. And his children's name, names, they stand for all of these things that have happened, all of these sinful things that have happened to undo God's promises to Israel. It's been violence against Israel. Uh, and where there's been slaughter, where there's been uh, no compassion, where there's been uh, no pity towards the poor or towards the downtrodden. There's been no justice. And so God says, go and rescue this woman, go. And at the, you know, the temple, Baal was one of those places that uh, at the temple, if you worshiped at the temple there, it was, you know, Baal was supposed to be one you would pray for, for, uh, to have, it was a fertility God. It was a, a God who, uh, of sex, it was a God of uh, the seasons that you would pray to, to have good harvest as well. And so God's saying, you know, this woman has run off. Um, go rescue her. And it's really a picture of Jesus' relationship with us, that, you know, God could have uh, easily just let this woman go or not use this example or not rescue her from her sin. Uh, but he did that in spite of her sin. And he tells this holy man uh, to go and rescue this uh, broken, sinful woman, this bride. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And this holy man to do the rescuing and to uh, pursue because of these covenant promises that God has made to his people, that even though his people continue to break the promise of Fidelity to God, and they go and worship other gods. He says, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to send someone after you. And that's exactly what Hosea does. And he shows his own faithfulness. He shows his compassion to Gomer. He shows his obedience to God. Uh, again, I'll refer to Roger's sermon this morning. You know, this call for obedience to love the broken, to uh, love with justice, to love with mercy, to love. Um, as one who is, um, who is made in the image of God, one who is faithful to Christ. And so we see this symbolism in Gomer and Hosea, and now he starts to point out specific ways in which Israel, or God's people, you know, that they have um, broken God's covenant. And one of the folks that broke God's covenant majorly was the priests. This is a picture of a priest. Here is that they have uh, run away to other gods. You can imagine it's been fear of death or fear of um, uh, fear of you know losing their uh, hierarchy. They have not been keeping God's covenant, and so it says that they have knowledge of God. This is one of the big uh, faux pas or one of the big pieces of judgment that God points out is that you know priests, you've got a lot of knowledge of God. You are turning away from his covenant. Now for me and for Roger and for Rob, this is a very great passage to read and a sobering passage to read. 
and to say, you know, yes, we are rescued by Jesus, and yes, we are. Uh, our sins have been forgiven from, as far as the east is from the west, but God calls us to obedience and to fidelity to him above all, of, above, above all others. He is um, number one. And so um, it, it can, and you see this in, I think you, well, I don't think, I think I'm trying to be um, maybe kind or, kind or anyway, but you see this in churches now, uh, some churches now, and I'm not going to point any out where uh, there might be a prosperity gospel that says, you know, if you do this and this, then God's going to make your life rich and wonderful and you'll have mansions and cars uh, that's a way that a priest can move away from the uh, gospel, the true gospel, the fidelity toward God. Or it's saying, you know, our culture shift a little bit this way, so it, it, it's okay for us to um, stray away from the way that God created marriage or the way that God created a man and woman. And, I, and I, please not, don't hear me saying that in judgment, because if you're anything like me, you have friends and you have family who um, deal with this issue, and you have friends and you have family who uh, struggle with this and who wonder and have questions. So please don't hear me saying it uh, as one who stands above and looks down and says, you better get your act together. But I say it as one who God is calling us to fidelity and to calling us to lean on him for fidelity. And that's what he's pointing out here is that the priests have strayed away. And, you know, if, as Roger says in his sermons, you know, when he's up on the pulpit, if you begin to hear us to um, preach what is not the word of God, then you pick up the phone and you call the bishop. You say, you know, this, is, this guy's not preaching the word of God. And you say, this is okay or that's okay. And again, that is not to, meant to point or to judge in a way that, as though that uh, I'm above anyone or Roger's above anyone, but just more saying more. Hopefully it comes out in humility that we're not above anyone. We just, you know, we're beggars just like everyone else. And that's what God is calling these priests to, to be, is beggars just like everyone else, to be willing to sacrifice for the fidelity of the Word of God, to the fidelity of the covenant of God. And they have strayed away from that as well. And he's saying, look, you have this knowledge, but... You are uh, beginning to make, have relationships with other nations and with other gods. And so he points this out so that um, they will be exposed and gives them the opportunity to repent. Uh, that's one of the things that exposure does for my heart and our hearts is that it, as, as it gets highlighted and it gets raised to the surface is that... Um, in those moments, it may not feel good, but it does point us to uh, an opportunity to repent, to turn to the God that says, um, I won't turn you away, and it allows us to rest in him. And so right now, these guys have this opportunity, but they have not done it, so God is going to bring judgment upon them, and they will be, um, he refers to these vultures coming in, and that refers to Assyria coming in and attacking that God's going to allow to happen because they've been breaking the law and they've been breaking the covenant. And so Israel begins to lose, uh, in a sense, its special um, title as the ones who are elect, the ones who are God's chosen people. And there's a threat, you know, 
you continue to do this, you'll go back to Egypt, where I've rescued you from. And it's not a, a, you know, it's a threat to draw them back in to himself that he might deliver them. So this, there's this whole um, range of devotions that these priests are doing that it is, uh, it is all ceremony and not heart. It is all on the outside, but their hearts are far from God. Um, that's a, you know, that's, that helps me <laughs> when I read something like this and say, Lord, will you, uh, will you help me to not go through the motions? Um, and, you know, it could be a priest or it can be yourself. Will you help me to not go through the, mo- through the motions? Will you draw me in? Uh, help me to live by the Spirit. Help me to be obedient, not just out of, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, but that I have a relationship with you, God. And will you somehow mold me into that to be more like Jesus, to follow you? And so he begins uh, to follow uh, through this. He begins to follow through Israel's history and Israel's history and looking at uh, the breaking of different covenants and uh, turning to kings for their worship. And some of these kings, they were, uh, they thought of themselves as gods. And so... You know, as a loyal servant of the king, you folks would turn and they would worship the king as a god, and then they would worship this golden calf, Baal, as one who could uh, bring favor to them. And Hosea is saying, that will not bring favor to you. In fact, that will turn you away. That will turn into judgment if you want to... Um, you follow God in this way. And we have idols, I think, as well. I don't think. We know uh, that we all have idols, and it can be anything. Um, usually it's not a golden calf these days. Uh, usually it's something else, and you know, we've talked about this before. You know, it could be the phone. It could be social media. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, I loved the fact that this came up one time in a sermon. Um, I think we'll... Maybe it was in here, maybe it was a sermon that Roger did, but just the idea of perfectionism. You know, perfectionism is one of those um, it looks good kind of sins. You know, I, I, like when you go in a job interview, now what is one of your, um, what would you say is one of the traits that you need to work with? Well, I'm a perfectionist. Well, it looks kind of good on the outside, but it's not. And it's really a, a sense of pride saying that. You know, I'm the one, you know, there's nothing wrong with hard work and there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, pursuing excellence. But there is a sense where it becomes the God instead of trusting in what the Lord is going to do. And so we want to, and so God is calling them. He's saying, look, look at your past. Look at the covenants that you have broken. Return to me. Return to me. And so Hosea has this criticism of, of, again, he comes back to this theme of idolatry over and over again. That these pictures of um, they are like a son who has left. And you know, that you can't help but remind you of the prodigal son when you see that. It's this picture of a son who is um, left, but now God is going to do something to this son because that he is going to offer compassion. And he's going to offer hope to Israel. Or to God's people, that they would return and rest in Him. And He offers them repentance. And He calls them to repent. I, I was trying to decide which slide to use for repentance. One of them was uh, 
you know, it showed someone's feet and then showed a U-turn at the feet. And it was just, just turning back to who God is and to, draw, and to allowing ourselves to, um, or not even allowing ourselves to reach out to God and say, look, will you, will you help me? You know, will you give me the willingness to have the willingness? And it's a complete uh, let go and trust in God that he would be the one that we would follow, that he would be the one that we would uh, rely on. As we, uh, instead of these other gods, man, it is so easy to do that. Probably like it was then, whatever the quick fix is uh, that feels good in the moment. Um, you know, it just allows us to, to have some sort of quick, um, you know, momentary lapse of reason or some sort of relief. A friend of mine, she used to say, I'm a relief seeking missile. He said, I'm just, you know, I'm just always looking for some sort of rest. And and God's saying to his people and Jose saying to us that our rest is in him. Our rest is in repentance. Our rest is in making a new turn and turning toward Jesus, turning away from and turning towards Jesus. And it's interesting because I was talking to someone the other day about how our brains are, you know, God gives us this opportunity to re... uh, And if you're a doctor here, and if you're a brain, if you're a neurologist here, forgive me because these are not the right terms, but you... you, Anyone here a uh, neurologist or or brain doctor? Okay, and I can make all sorts of stuff up. But you just recreate these neuropathways. And so as we begin to repent and turn back to God consistently, it starts to create these habits and these neuropathways. Neuropathways don't get us, get us to a relationship with God. That's only Jesus, but it is a calling. So even in our human makeup, God has given us this opportunity to turn and to form these new habits uh, in following Him uh, in you know, allegiance to Him. So there are some things in here that God is faithful to Israel despite Israel's unfaithfulness. And they have, uh, and we see it, you know, just in that, I love Hosea 2 because of that, because it is this literal picture, you know, not just, it is a metaphor, but it is a literal historical event um, that Hosea was called to go rescue, um, to go you know, marry this woman who is a prostitute, just like Jesus you know, marries us. And so God has a promise to save and heal Israel from its waywardness. And again, there's, there's forgiveness and mercy all through this. There is judgment, and there is Israel's unfaithfulness, because judgment is to lead to the covenant being fulfilled. And eventually it is fulfilled uh, through Israel to the nations, and that is uh, through the line of David, and that is through Jesus. And that's where we see the gospel in Hosea, that it is a picture of... Um, that God, uh, he, he, he takes uh, the one who is weary, the one who has left, and he uh, rescues us. And we see it all through the New Testament for God, where Jesus uh, loves the, uh, those who are the outcasts. We'll hear some of that today in the sermon, but Ruth was the outcast. And uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I, won't give, I, won't, I won't give it away, but... I didn't realize this until I heard the sermon, just these different, these different levels of outcasts or these different categories of outcasts 
in uh, throughout the Old Testament, and Ruth has all four of them. She's like an outcast beyond outcasts. And um, you know, Naya or uh, Gomer, I would say, probably is in the same boat as well. And so that's and God goes rescues Gomer in that. And so that points us to Jesus, and that it's this. These salvation themes are all through here. God's covenant between God and Israel. Uh, you know, the theme of marriage is all through the Old Testament. We see it um, in you know, the marriage covenant, Adam and Eve. We see it with God saying, only eat this one uh, from this one tree. And then that breaks and they have to, you know, and then there's judgment. And then we see it on Mount Sinai, another marriage, a covenant between God and um, God and his people through Moses, through these commandments that he gives. And of course, they break that as well. You see it through Abraham. And that, but these promises in the end are all kept. Even though Israel doesn't keep them on um, their end, God keeps both sides of the deal. He, uh, he gives fidelity uh, to his side of the covenant, but he also ends up giving fidelity to their side of the covenant, even though they are, have broken it and are sinful, God's people, and we get the benefits of that through Jesus Christ. You know, the great exchange that we get Christ's righteousness and Christ takes our sin, not just on a one-time basis, but the past, the present, and the future, that we, have, we are righteous in God and that he uh, calls us out of that righteousness to love others well and to be obedient uh, as he's called the people of Israel and Hosea to be obedient as well. So again, this, you, know, you just see this up and down and that judgment is not a uh, tool of some reactionary God, but it is a, uh, a, I think of it more of like a someone sculpting, like a, like a you know, Michelangelo sculpting something it's that he is, he is wanting to uh, create something beautiful and that uh, a place where we find our most joy and delight, and that is in him. <coughs> in spite of the momentary uh, fixes or the momentary things that offer us a sense of relief where we're relief-seeking missiles. Uh, and, and by the way, the relief is found in the Lord. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying that it's so easy to just go to these other things. And he calls us to wait on him and to follow him. He will uh, draw us back in. And that's where we will find our, our, our most joy is as we delight in who he is and what he has done. And he helps us see that in Hosea. Questions? Yes? Can you go back to that last picture? Uh-huh. What is the significance of Hosea putting what I think is money into the hand of someone? Because he's buying so um, Gomer is being bought with a price, just like Jesus bought us with a price. And that's, that, what, that's what I'm thinking is happening. Was that something that they did back in those days? Right. When you would go to the temple, there would be prostitutes there and that you would pay. And some of these folks were – now, this isn't the temple like where, you know, the covenant, Ark of the Covenant. These are the temple of Baal. Yeah. That's a great question. I did not notice that until you just said that. And that must be what, you know, the, I'm taking her and I am giving you Christ. And so you know, we are the bride and Jesus says, I'm taking you 
and I'm going to pay a price that is on the cross. And that would be the, what, the temple where Asher mm-hmm. was, where Asher was the god, the goddess of God. Right. right. The kind of the, the temple of fertility and... Mm-hmm. That's where all the prostitutes yeah. would have mm-hmm. the weather. (laughs) Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you uh, come to us and you buy us with a price. Uh, We pray that as uh, you uh, are uh, teaching us and molding us, we thank you that uh, you ultimately draw us in. We pray that you would help us to find that balance between resting solely in you and obedience and Lord, knowing that, um, just like the prodigal, that uh, we are safe in you. We are safe in you, Jesus. Um, And we ask that that would be, uh, we'd know the height and the depth and the width of your love for us more and more, that we might share that with others, that we might uh, be obedient. And we pray it in your holy name, Jesus. I did. It looks like it stopped. I don't know. I don't know if it stops automatically when I cut it off. I mean, it went for 30 minutes, so that's pretty good.